Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Well, my name is Melissa Miller. I am Pastor Brandon's wife, and and we are on the pastoral team. Um, Such an honor to be on the team. Uh, We've been here pretty much from the beginning. Uh, We were manipulated into moving here um, by by the Lumens, really, because they showed us the sunshine and the ocean and then took us to Pinkberry. That was was cruel manipulation. Uh, And then they took us to Sushi Deli, and I had the most amazing Tropicana roll with mangoes and mango sauce dribbled all all over the top, and, and then... I didn't even like Mexican food until I moved here, and they're like, yeah, let's just go to this little hole-in-the-wall taco shop, and I had no idea that carne asada could taste so good, and so, um, you know, obviously my husband and I were praying about it very seriously, if it was God who was going to, you know, really call us to move out here, and and I told him, I was like, you know, the sun's great and the beach is great, but the Lord spoke through that carne asada and that pink berry. I didn't know God could speak through food. We have some really good food here, and I think we need to just go out to lunch after this because now I'm drooling about it. Um, it was delicious. And so um, how many of you have been enjoying this series, the God Encounter series? It has been such an awesome series. Um, and one of the things is with the different communicators who have been up here. I love hearing their personal God encounters. And so I wanted to share with you, before we get into the word this morning, my first time that I ever encountered God. And uh, I was 17 years old. I had just turned 17. And my mom had just tragically been killed. And I had just gotten back from her funeral. So this was about in April, mid-April. And my birthday's at the end of March, and so I had just turned 17, and that's a lot for a 17-year-old brain to process. My mom tragically dying, not just like we saw it coming, like she was actually kidnapped, and she was missing for three days. We didn't know where she was, and uh, it turns out she had been involved with this meth dealer, and what she did was she tried to set up a sting operation with the police. Like she realized, this guy is dangerous, I'm in over my head, and I need your help, so she went to the police and said, let's do a fake drug deal, but I need you to arrest me because this guy, if he knows that I'm in on this and he knows that I'm going to, you know, be be in on his arrest, then he'll kill me. And so you need to arrest me too, and then you can just let me go when we get to the to the jail. So uh, they never actually showed up at that meeting point, and he, I don't know if he knew something was going on, and he suspected that, you know, she was in on this, um, on this plot to turn him in, but they never showed up. And so they finally caught up with them three days later, and uh, he tried to evade police. So he was going 80, 90 miles an hour in the car trying to to evade police. And we still to this day don't know if she jumped or if she was pushed or if she fell out of that that vehicle um, going uh, 80, 90 miles an hour. And she died in surgery that day. So as you can imagine, um, it's hard enough to lose a parent, hard enough to lose a loved one, but to lose it in such a tragic way and have so many um, circumstances surrounding it that were tragic, and then the man ended up going to prison, and he committed suicide in prison, not really giving a lot of answers as to what happened. And so I had a lot of questions, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know anything about God or the Bible, and I had never prayed before in my life. I had prayed maybe like at Thanksgiving when you just say, thanks for this food, amen, because extended family members are there, and and they're believers, and so you want to be respectful. That was the, the extent of my prayer life. I had no idea how to pray. I didn't know who to pray to. Uh, But at that moment, when I was 17 years old, I was sitting at my dad's coffee table, and I was having a moment by myself 
where I was weeping and I was desperate and I wanted to pray for the first time in my life. And I didn't know if there were certain semantics, certain salutations that you were supposed to pray. Uh, For those of us who didn't grow up in church, we kind of wonder, do I need to say my first name and my last name? You know, does God just know that already? Do I say thee, thou holiest God of the mountains and the sea? You know, I beckon you, you know, and and my prayer was like that. It was very rough, and it was very ugly and weird, and God was probably going, what is she saying? So finally, you know, I'm crying, and I'm having this moment where I have so many questions, and I just decide to scratch that whole ugly prayer. I'm like, if God is really real, then he knows my first name and my last name, and he knows my circumstances, and so I'm just going to be real, and I'm going to be sincere. And so, uh, you know, the, the ugly prayer got a little bit uglier, you know, as the tears came, and, you know, the snotty cry, like the not cute cry, like you can't just brush it off, but the blotchy red face kind of cry. And so I'm crying, and I'm, I just say, God, if you're real, I need you to show up right now, and I need you to show me that everything is going to be okay. I need you to just come and, and show me a sign. And Okay, I don't know if God always answers the show me a sign prayer, so don't go try this after the service. Um, but the Lord, the Lord says in his word that he is near to the brokenhearted and that he saves the crushed in spirit. And so I believe that God saw the brokenness in my heart at that moment. And I, my prayer probably lasted maybe 60 seconds. And in that, in that period of time, in that 60 seconds that I prayed, I hear my dad's Yukon pull up in the driveway. It's a loud vehicle. So I hear him pulling up. And so after my prayer, I'm kind of trying to wipe off my tears, you know, trying to like make it look like I wasn't crying because me and my dad don't have that good a relationship where I can just cry on his shoulder. He's a bit of a tough guy. So I wanted to be tough too and crying, you know, wiping off my tears. Um, And so I'm sitting there and he walks in and he has this stack of mail in his hand. And he slaps this pink envelope on the table in front of me, and it has my name and his work address on it, and it doesn't have a return address on it. And he said, I'm so sorry that I kept forgetting to give this to you. It's been in my office for months now, and, you know, sorry about that, but it's for you. So he goes back into the kitchen, and I see this pink envelope with my name on it. And I open it up, and it's a Valentine's card from my mom. And it says, I know we don't always see things eye to eye, but we always see them heart to heart. And I will always love you, and I'm so proud of you. Love, Mom. I think for any kid, we always want to hear those words, I love you and I'm proud of you, right? And that was probably what I did, everything that I did, every extracurricular activity, I just wanted to hear those words, I'm proud of you. But because of the path that my mom had taken, I didn't hear that very much. And so to have that moment in the 60 seconds that I prayed for the first time that I prayed in my life, when I asked God for a sign that everything was going to be okay, to have that moment where he gave me a card from my mom that he had had for months in his office, to have that right in front of me at the moment that I needed it the most was a powerful God encounter for me a powerful God encounter. And that was definitely the moment where I realized that God was real, but how many of you know that that's not enough to know that God is real? Even demons believe, right? So I wish that I could tell you that my life changed dramatically after that point, and I was totally different on the outside and the inside, but that wasn't really the case. 
I didn't really have anybody to teach me about the Bible or the right way to pray. And so what I did was I sort of saw God as like a slot machine, right? Like every now and then when I needed something or wanted something, about every six months, I kind of shout up a prayer and, you know, see if it would work. God, I, all my friends have a car and I really need a car. Could you, could you pull through for me on this one? Or I drank too much at a party, okay? I'm in high school. It happens, right? And, you know, and, and uh, would you bail me out, God? And so my life didn't really look any different after that pink envelope, although, you know, I, I believed, you know, to some degree that maybe God had answered my prayer in that moment. It didn't look any different until I got to college, and there was an atheist philosophy professor that was there, and he wrote on the board, if you knew there was a God, would you change your life today? have a problem answering that question. They were like, no, I'd live my life the same. But I knew that if I really, really believed that that God was real, that met me in that moment of need, that I would be living my life different. And I knew that two things I knew. I wanted to know who God was, and I wanted to know what pleased him. Because if I knew that this God thing and this heaven thing was really real, then I recognized that my time on this earth was short and I better make it count. And I better make it count for the right thing, right? And so I, I pondered this question. I wondered about this question. I talked to a Buddhist. I talked to somebody who was Baha'i. I sent an email to this man named Brandon Miller, who was the FCA president, Fellowship of Christian Athletes president. And we touched base via email, and I went to one of the FCA meetings. And he happened to be preaching a powerful message about Peter walking on the water. And, and I thought, this is it. This, this is what I've been searching for. So I raised my hand, and I gave my life to Christ. And I <laughs> when I was a sophomore year in college. And, uh, and then, so I fell in love with the Lord, and then I fell in love with Brandon a little bit later. And I'm still wondering if that was his plan all along. Um, <laughs> and my family thinks that Brandon is a really good influence on me because it all happened right around the same time. So like this Brandon was really good for her. And, uh, but that was the point where my life was radically changed because life is sometimes about asking the right questions, right? And so before I was asking God, what can you do for me? But I changed and I shifted and I thought, God, what can I do for you? When I was in college, I began to ask God, what can I do to please you? I want to live my life according to what pleases you and what honors you. And so it was no longer about, God, what can you do for me? And how can you bail me out? And how can you give me what I want and what I need when I want it? But now it was different. And there was a change in me that wanted to know, how can I live my life to please God? God, what can I do to please you? And from that point on, people would say, I was radically different. There was a radical change in my life. And so I want to ask you a question that I want you to ponder on, much like I pondered on that question. And it's, are you after God's heart or are you after God's hand? And maybe you don't understand quite that question, but what I mean by the hand of God is him moving your circumstances, his changing things around, him giving you what you want or when you want it, that's kind of the hand of God, right? His provision, his healing, and those are great things and he wants us to, to ask for that. But much like a relationship, like Ariana was saying, that it's not much of a relationship if I'm uh, married to Brandon and the only time that I talk to him is when I want something. That's not a healthy relationship or a healthy marriage, right? And so, when I ask this question, are you after God's heart or are you after God's hand, I want you to think about, about it in that. Am I after an intimate relationship with God or am I after what he can do for me? 
So when you ponder that question, that's what that means. So we're going to read a, a powerful scripture this morning about some people where there's a difference, and you can see the difference between some people who are after the hand of God and one person who is after the heart of God. So if you have your Bibles with me, you can turn to Luke chapter 17. It's about three quarters of the way in your Bible. Otherwise, you are going to uh, follow along on the screens because I believe we'll have the scripture there as well. So it's chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. <clears throat> on the he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And I thank you for the power that there is in your word. And I thank you for the power that there is in studying, Lord, the way that you were in your word, your character, Lord God, and who you are. And God, I pray that, Lord, each and every person, Lord, would walk out of this place different. God, would walk out of this place knowing your heart more, God, and wanting to, to follow you and seek you more than they did before. God, I ask that you would use me, that you would anoint my words, and they would not be my own words, but they would be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Does anybody watch The Walking Dead? I tried it because of your recommendation. I won't point fingers. Some people in here recommended Walking Dead to me, and I don't see any point in watching TV if you're like this the whole time. <laughs> and that's pretty much how I was, and then I realized that wasn't enough because I, I needed to plug my ears too. It was fairly gruesome in my book, but I know some of you don't have a problem with that. So the premise of the show is that it's a zombie, like apocalypse type movie, right? And so uh, they're walking around and they've got, you know, skin hanging off and guts and blood and, you know, some of the missing limbs and all of those things. And so it's, it's pretty gruesome for me. And the show, let's be honest, it intentionally like zooms in on the gruesomeness. Like it's not just gruesome, but like they want to like zoom in on the noise and the sounds and all those things. And um, I am still waiting for a moment um, when Brandon and I can find a TV show that we really agree on because... Um, Walking Dead's not my thing, and Heart of Dixie's not his thing, and so, <laughs> um, however, though, Prison Break was, like, our thing for a while, and I'm waiting for another, you know, show as good as Prison Break to come. Uh, that was a good one. But either way, um, leprosy back in the day, and I'm not saying this to make light of it, but really to give you a picture of what it was like to have leprosy back then, um, they actually called it the death before death because that's how severe leprosy was. Uh, your nervous system was damaged, so you were numb on the outside, but your flesh would literally rot, so the smell was really, really intense. And then uh, also your respiratory uh, tract would be blocked because of this disease, and so it was very difficult for these people to speak. Um, limbs would fall off often, fingers, toes, um, and then there would be disfigurements where skin would hang and sag. And so um, I can imagine that 
like The Walking Dead, that's probably what they looked like in many cases and probably sounded like because it was so difficult to speak. And so this disease was very gruesome it gruesome physically, but they were actually ostracized from society and rejected from society because it was so contagious and the smell was so bad. And so that's why we see 10 lepers walking together because it was a colony of lepers. And so there's still leper colonies today in other countries that don't have modern medicine. For us today, it, it still exists, but it's called Hansen's disease. So you could be sitting next to somebody and because of the medication, it's not contagious anymore and the symptoms are very slowed down. And so so um, they didn't have that back then, and it was, it was really gruesome. They couldn't hug their family members anymore. They couldn't talk to, to people in society anymore. In fact, that if they wanted to enter and they needed to grab something from society, they had to yell at the top of their lungs, leper, unclean, leper, and then everybody would just move away to, so that they wouldn't catch this contagious disease, so they would just spread so that the leper could come in and grab what he needed. Um, so you can imagine that this is, this is not just uh, physically uh, heartbreaking, but it's also emotionally for them very heartbreaking. And so there's 10 of them there, and that's why they're standing at a distance. So they're waving their hands, saying, Jesus, have mercy on us, and they're standing at a distance because they can't come close because of the, the contagiousness of the disease. And so they're, so they're saying, have mercy on us. And so what Jesus does is he doesn't give him his hand in this situation. And if you look back at Mark chapter 1, he actually did lay his hand on a leper, and that was the first time he healed a leper. And so I don't know if maybe they heard about that, and they were hoping that Jesus would come over and lay his hand on them like he did with the leper in previous chapters. But either way, he doesn't give him his hand this time. He says, go show yourself to the priest. So the priest was the only one at that time who was able to just deem them clean. So if he inspected them and they didn't have, you know, any lesions anymore and any of the symptoms anymore, he was the one who could say, okay, you're okay to go back into society. So he says, go show yourself to the priest. So I don't know why God does that sometimes, why God sometimes just will lay his hand and instantly heal somebody sometimes, or maybe you've seen somebody at the altar and they went up and they got prayed for instantly, a breakthrough in finances or a breakthrough in health. And then for some of us, he says, go on your way, right? You go walk it out in faith. You got to go to the doctor's appointments. You got to go keep, keep on walking it out in faith. And somewhere along the way, we're trusting that he said it, so it's going to happen, but we still have to walk it out on a day by day. I don't know why he does that, but I do know and do believe that it takes more faith to walk it out on a daily basis than it does to be instantly healed. So in this case, he says, go on your way, go show yourself to the priest. And so they're walking along their way and hoping that in somewhere along this journey, whether it's minutes, hours, days, I don't know, that God will heal them, and he does. So they're going along. Can you imagine like limbs literally growing back and your skin where it was falling off and rotting just coming back and it's clean again and all of a sudden you can take a deep breath again and you can speak again. I can imagine what an amazing moment that was for them just walking along and oh my gosh, it's happening. Look, oh, is it happening to you too? Look at, oh my gosh, my, my toes just grew back, you know? I mean, can you imagine how exciting that would be for these people? Like, I get to see my family again. I get to hug my daughters again. I get to hug my wife again. I mean, can you imagine their life just changed in a moment in one God encounter? It just radically, radically changed. I can imagine that that was incredibly exciting. But for one of these lepers, 
It wasn't enough for him to continue on his way to go be deemed approved by this priest and integrated back into society. That just wasn't going to cut it for him. And I can imagine that he's like, you know, guys, that's fine if you want to continue to go show yourself to the priest and go be deemed made clean and get your approval from the priest and get your approval from society. But I got to go back and meet this man. I got to go lay at the feet of this man who did this for me. Look at my arms. Look at my skin. Look at my healing. Look at this breakthrough. I am so grateful that I have got to go back. I've got to go find this man. And you can imagine he's going back and with a loud voice, it says, he falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to praise him and worship him because he was so overwhelmed at that moment. He couldn't even think about the approval of man at that moment. He had to go get the approval of God. And so for, for those of us, when we're talking about the heart versus the hand, people after God's heart care more about God's approval than the approval of others. It just wasn't going to cut it. Because for him to go and, and get the, the hand claps, yay, you're back in society, this is awesome, you're clean again, we can talk to you again, you look nice on the outside, that, for people who are after God's own heart, that just doesn't cut it. They have got to meet this man who's done such a great work in their life, who's transformed them. They have got to go lay at the feet and praise him and worship him and find out who he is and what pleases him. So for people who are after God's heart, the the approval of others is just not enough. It's just not enough. People after God's heart aren't satisfied with outward appearances. They want inward transformation. Because although all 10 got cleansed on the outside, this man got cleansed from the numbness that's on the inside. For, For people who are after God's heart, it's not enough for them to get the numbness fixed on the outside. That's great that you're washed clean and you're not numb anymore from this disease, but what about those of us who need that numbness healed on the inside, who have built walls and calluses up towards God and towards people and towards the circumstances of life and, 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 and we're frustrated with the way things have been and so we build these calluses and these walls and we, we become, become a little bit more numb on the inside. And for those of us who are after God's heart, It's not enough to look good on the outside. We want that inward transformation, and he got that inward transformation. Because in Luke 17, uh, 17, when he's talking about we're not all ten cleansed, that word in the Greek is katharizo, which means to make clean, to cleanse from physical dirt, a leper to cleanse by curing. That's that's pretty pretty well seen in in this verse in this passage, they were all cleansed. We can see that they were outwardly cleansed. But when he addresses just the one leper, he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And it's a different word that he uses to describe all 10. He actually uses the Greek word sozo. And that word means to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, wellness, complete wholeness. Sozo is that full life that God promises to us, that abundant life that God promises to us. So although all 10 lepers got the cleansing, they got the catharizo, the one leper, he said, your faith has given you the sozo has given you the the cleansing from the outer numbness, has given you salvation, some scholars believe. 
that literally his faith, his praise, his gratitude caused him to be the one that got to experience the eternal transformation, the transformation that lasts for eternity. Not just the quick fix, not just the quick healing that will just last last in this short lifetime, but he got something that will last forever. He got that inward transformation. Does anybody else believe that's powerful? I thought that was such a powerful thing as I was studying this out to believe that we can receive an even greater blessing from the Lord when we come to him with praise and with gratitude. People after God's heart have an attitude of gratitude. It's often that we find ourselves moving on to the next prayer requests after one gets answered. It's like, oh yeah, God answered that prayer, that's great. So here's what I want next, God. And we forget to go back like this leper did and praise him for what he's already done. Somebody asked me to, to be a little co-teacher at their community group and just come in, and it's a, a group of mostly single women. And to hear the biggest cry of their heart was for a husband and a family. And it was a great reminder to me that I'm living in that answered prayer because I remember when it was the cry of my heart as well. And that was the biggest prayer request that I had. The biggest desire of my heart was to have a husband and to have kids and to have a family because mine was really broken and robbed from me. So that was the biggest desire of my heart and I can relate to those women in so many ways. But how oftentimes do we forget, God, I'm living in an answer to prayer right now. Right now, I'm living with an amazing man who loves me, and I'm so thankful for him as my husband. We're going to be celebrating 10 years of marriage next month. We're excited. Yeah. And my, my children are far more amazing than I could ever ask for. And to, to stop for a moment sometimes and begin to think, I have so much to be grateful for. What prayer requests are you living in right now? You're living in that answer to prayer. What prayer request has he already answered that maybe you haven't taken a moment to reflect on and thank him for? You could be living in a prayer request. Somebody else could look at your life and say, man, I wish that I had that. Well, for you, you might take it for granted every day. Oh yeah, it's just my husband, no big deal. But for those single women, and that's the greatest desire and cry of their heart, was to have a husband, I can imagine that that would mean so much to them to have what you have. Let's not take what we have for granted. Let's not take what God's given us for granted. Because if you complain about what you already have, why would God give you more to complain about? Think about that. If you complain about all that you already have and your husband and your kids and your car and your job and your house, why would God give you more to complain about? As believers, as Christ followers, we should be the most grateful people I'm not saying that we need to be fake all the time. I'm not saying we have to put on a phony smile all the time. But we should be living in an attitude of gratitude as Christ followers. Because even if you don't have the husband and the kids and the house and the car, if you're a Christ follower, you have Jesus. You have salvation. You have redemption. You have a life in eternity with him. You have been forgiven. You have been set free. Come on, I could list off a whole lot of benefits of just serving Christ and Christ alone and all that he's done for us. Just like the people in Mexico. They said they might not have much but they know how to worship and they're worshiping the right thing. They're not worshiping things. They're not worshiping circumstances. They're worshiping God just because of what he did for them. I think, could it be that the height of our joy is dependent on the depth of our thanks? Could it be that you're complaining and you're 
you know, speaking negatively over your circumstances and all that's around you, could that be that that's actually the very thing that's robbing you of the joy of the season that you're in right now? Could it be that the, that the height of your joy is dependent on the depth of your thanks, on the depth of you speaking life and thanking God for the things that he's already given you? Could it be that that's what's robbing you of your joy right now, of robbing you from that sozo, from that full life, that life and life more abundant that God promises? People after God's heart seek his presence over his performance. They seek his presence over his performance. Because as we're in this series of God encounters, there's nothing wrong with a God encounter. There's nothing wrong with the hand of God. There's nothing wrong with God performing, so to speak, miracles in our lives. But at the same time, there can be people who they jump from one mountaintop experience to another and they, they go to conference after conference and they're seeking this really emotional high or this experience with God, not realizing that God is in the mountaintops and the valleys, right? That he is, he is both up and he is both down and there's gonna be moments when you open up your Bible and you might not feel the tingles and you might not feel the chills and you might not hear the audible voice of God or have a scripture jump off the page, but will you seek him for who he is? is. Will you seek not an experience, but will you seek the God of the experience, the God of the encounter? Will you seek him for who he is and for what he's done for you and not necessarily seeking after experiences? Because the reality is, Becca, she's, that song, that tabernacle song, I, I, I feel the presence of God every time she sings it. I love it. And I hope she sings it every week and I hope I hear it on the radio one day. But the reality is, my faith can't be dependent on those moments and those experiences when I feel because we don't seek after feelings, we don't seek after experiences, we seek after God, right? And so we can't forget that. In the Bible in the Old Testament, God refers to himself as the I am, as the I am. And I often wondered what that meant, and I studied it a little bit, and it really is because God is everything that you need. And so if we seek after joy and we seek after peace and we seek after all of these things, there's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is, he says, I am peace. I am joy. I am fulfillment. Healer. I am your provider. I am fill in the blank. It's in him that we find all that we need. That's why it's so fun and beautiful to study the names of God. If you have a chance, it's, it's such a, a, a rewarding, amazing uh, thing to do because you get to see that it's, that it's who God is. That, that Jehovah Jireh is one of the names of God, which means the Lord provides, that he is our provider. It's not something he just does. Is. It's in his name. It's in his character. It's in the very essence of who God is. Just like the scripture tells us that God is love. It's not just something he gives out. It's who he is. Or Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. How many of you need more peace in your home and in your life? I have three kids. I could always use a little bit more peace in my home and in my life. But I have Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. It's who he is. Or how about Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals? We seek after healing. Maybe some of you instantly at the altar. Maybe some of you, he says, go walk it out in faith. Go to those doctor's appointments. I don't know why he does that, but I do know that the Lord 
heals. It's who he is. It's in his nature. It's in his character. It's just not something that we seek after his hand for. It's in his heart. It's in who he is that we find all that we need. Amen. He is not a puppet. He is not a salt machine. And although I've asked for forgiveness for treating him that way for many years in high school, in the first two years of college, I've realized that there's much more rewarding to seek after God for who he is rather than what he can do for me and to seek after him and to find out what pleases him so that I can live my life according to that. Anybody else grateful for the Lord and what he's done in your life? I'm so grateful. See, sometimes God doesn't give you his hand, just like he didn't give the lepers his hand this time. Sometimes all he gives you is his word. He just says, go show yourself to the priest, and they just had that word, and that's what they had to go off of, was that word. And so some of you today, you might say, well, I never got a prophetic word from God. I never have had somebody speak anything over me. I don't have this, this word like you're going to be an evangelist or you're going to do this with your life or this is going to happen in your life. But you might not have a word, but you have the word yeah. right here. And this is what transformed my life is being able to say, God, I want to know what pleases you and that's what I want to do. And it, it is in his word that I found the answers to what pleases him, that I found the answers to, oh, oh. You want me to die to myself, pick up my cross, and follow you daily? Am I really up for that? Whew, okay. All right, all right. I'll sign on the dotted line. Oh, gosh, you want me to pick up my cross and follow you daily? Oh, to do your will above my own every day? Oh, that's, that's going to be hard. Oh, to deny myself? to get rid of my selfishness and my envy and my slander and all of these things. Gosh, I've got issues, but it's going to be a long journey, but I don't know. I just, I see all that you've done for me. I see all the benefits of serving you and how you've set me free and how you've healed me and how you've changed me and you've forgiven my sins and you've washed them away and you've redeemed me and now I don't have to have a broken home but I can give to my children what I didn't have and you gave me that husband. You've done so much for me. How could I say no? How could I say no? How could I do anything other than just to fall at the feet of Jesus and just praise him and just say, my life is yours. And you know what I do is when I don't feel like I have the strength to do what God calls me to do, uh, he does. <laughs> And so it's okay for you to be in this place today and you're like, I know what God requires and it's too much and I've tried it. And for those of you who have maybe tried it, maybe think about it this way. If you're trying it on your own willpower, it's not enough to just white knuckle this Christianity thing. Otherwise, then it's just all about our own good efforts, right? But to be able to say, God, this is what my husband prayed when he gave, prayed when he gave his life to Christ at the age of 16. He goes, God, I know what you're asking me to do and I can't live up to it. But if you want this life, you take it. And you give me the strength to live it out. And it was from changed, And he had the supernatural strength of God to be able to live righteously and walk according to God's word. It's a powerful thing. So I'm going to go ahead and pray this morning. And if you would bow your heads and just continue to ponder on that question. Am I after the heart of God or am I after the hand of God? Thank you for joining us today. 
For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.